This podcast is brought to you by Grid Studio, who puts cool gaming art on your wall instead of letting e-waste go into a landfill. Use the offer code BROKENSILICON for a bonus 10% off all of their cool gaming art, but also support the channel by using Broken Silicon to get discounts on Windows keys at cdkeyalpha.com and on Vite Ramen at the links below. And we'll talk more about those sponsors later. But for now, let's just get on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined by my co-host, Dan. Now, you know, actually, I'm going to open this episode with a correction because I said on the last Die Shrink that you will be recording from a hotel room potentially for this episode. But as it turns out, no. Yeah, I... I I, I don't want to get too much into it, but I need to have to move back a couple dates and I will be joining Tom a bit later, but I will be there within the next two weeks. Yeah, it was a very last minute decision to push back. I mean, when you're defending your thesis, right? Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't want to like talk too much about it, but yeah. No, yeah, I know. But uh, but no, but I think that's worth bringing up because it's worth pointing out that since Pretty much the start of Broken Silicon, you've been the uh, college boy of the group, and now you will be... I will be joining the workforce. You'll be joining the workforce and getting off that goddamn couch. Couch, all that couch (laughs) surfing you've been doing. Well, yeah, all all getting off the couch of working in a lab and working in another lab. And working in another lab, probably just an industry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But so... Um, this stuff can always change last minute. So for those who listen to that or watch that, really, uh, die shrink, which you guys can watch, uh, die shrinks, which are just bonus videos, really sometimes over an hour long. Um, if you support Moore's Law Z on Patreon, it was suggested that perhaps you might be in a hotel room, but you won't be. So just there, but you'll still be joining, uh, me in Nashville fairly soon, which will be exciting. And so um, I don't know if anyone remembers the channel from like early 2020 during the shutdown when you joined me in Peoria. That means you'll probably see not just Jesse in the background, but also your dog, Wendy, chilling half of the time as well. Yeah. I mean, if, for people who don't know, there is a CD key offer ad where I believe I'm just sitting there holding your dog, Wendy, for no reason the whole time because I wanted to. And she eventually keeps trying to lick my face and then eventually just gives up and lays down bored for a minute while i hold her <laughs> it's been a while since she's um appeared on the channel if, uh, to my memory but yeah she'll she'll be a, a fun temporary addition to the channel again i think uh she's a bit older now <laughs> she mm-hmm. was more well she's one of those dogs that um like despite the fact that she's six years old everybody when they see her kind of thinks she's a puppy still because she's Still very floppy, like a do- a puppy is. Would you agree with that? Oh yeah, and she really moves in a weird, noodly, snake-like way. So she kind of seems like she's never quite learned how to have proper coordination of her legs, despite being able to run as fast as a cheetah. 
Yeah, uh, it, she's uh, very goofy. You'd think she's uncoordinated, but I haven't seen very many dogs run faster than her. So she's got she's doing something right. Speaking of coordinated, Jesse, come here. Nope. Oh, there she is. <laughs> she, uh, we um, here in Nashville, uh, me and my girlfriend went to the Tomato Fest um, what, uh, this afternoon with Jesse. Uh, we actually had a little p- uh, tomato hat that we put <laughs> on her head. So she looked like a little walking um, tomato. But she's a Belgian Melanois, which are known to be very acrobatic dogs. And when we were walking, there's this trick I know. I just tell her up, up and point at something and she jumps on it. Mm-hmm. And there was this like wooden fence that's like really more like a wooden wall that's double thick. It's like two feet tall uh, and maybe th- four inches wide. And I went up, up. I, I wanted her to just jump over it and like jump back and forth like an agility dog. Instead, she sprints forward, jumps onto it like a gymnastic beam and sprints somehow on this four inch wide thing across it at like 10 miles an hour and then jumps off and looks at me. And I'm like, I guess you did something. <laughs> I guess that's impressive, Jesse. I guess you can just run on a tightrope if you wanted to. I've never seen Wendy do that before, but she's Wendy's big talent is she can uh, run a surprising distance up trees. I was going to say, and you've done that too, up, up, and she just sprints up like and scratches up a tree. Yeah. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I mean, you'll you'll be moving here soon and this will probably be the last episode. I mean, I don't know if this will be the last episode where you're in your apartment, but it could be probably will be. And this will be the last episode I'll be in this studio. I'll be in a new studio in, well, really in three days <laughs> or two yeah. days. And so the next episode, even the next guest episode, which I'm excited about the next guest is supposed to be High Yield, by the way, the YouTube channel, um, who's done a lot of stuff talking about the future of NVIDIA going monolithic or not and recent RDNA stuff. So perfect time to have that person on. Uh, that'll probably also be from the new studio. So either way, everyone watching, this is the end of this era of studios, which is, which by studio, I mean, Dan has a end table with a lamp behind him. Uh, by studio, you mean the place where I just happen to have my desktop. Currently. Exactly. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe once I have a, I will never have a full studio because this isn't my full time job, but maybe I'll make something a little nicer when I have a, you know, more expensive living situation because i'm hoping to be able to move into a house uh once i actually get a full-time job indeed and maybe when you do you can uh, maybe afford some of those expensive nvidia graphics cards because on that note Mm. nvidia ceo jensen wang who also added ai hype to his name writes in and says tom in your recent falsely titled video nvidia halts rtx 4000 production you mentioned that we at nvidia want an 80 series gpu to start at 1200 We tried to start the 80 series at $900 and gamer feedback made us unlaunch it because they thought it was unacceptable. Blame yourselves, not us, for not having an 80 class card at $900. (laughs) This is, of course, a joke reader mail, but I thought it would be funny to start the episode with this because (laughs) if you really wanted to be pedantic, you could argue, well, NVIDIA did try to launch the 4080 for $900, but they had to unlaunch it. Yeah, they had to unlaunch it. Now we just got that stupid 4070 Ti. Yeah, for which, which is totally not the same thing for less money. <laughs> imagine if that. Imagine the reviews for that. If that would have launched at eight hundred bucks. I mean, at, at uh, nine hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it was definitely a win 
for consumers in that it was proof that, no, these companies aren't going to do whatever they want. If there's something bad and it's obvious that it's bad, they will be forced to respond to what gamers say. So that that's heartening. But I did want to see those reviews. <laughs> <laughs> they would have been very funny reviews. I'm not, just. <laughs> it's not like the 3068 gigabyte. It's yeah. literally a different card that <laughs> they just called the same name. That would have been amazing. Ah, certainly one of the best moves uh, NVIDIA has ever tried to pull. And hey, I guess it, we did prove, the market did prove that there was one thing that's beyond the pale. At least one thing, yeah. Um, all right, well, now let us move on from that into some real corrections here. Uh, Compressed Earthbrocks writes in and he says, Tom, in Broken Silicon 2.16, you mentioned that we don't no Xbox sales numbers because Microsoft is always obfuscating them. However, Microsoft has released data that we can pretty much reverse engineer at this point and conclude that there's 79 million total Xbox One and Xbox Series consoles sold so far, with 21 million being the Xbox Series. So that's roughly 58 million Xbox One sales, including all models, Xbox One, One S, One X, and also Xbox, and then 21 million Xbox Series models. Link is below. And of course, the link will be in the description for all of you. Yeah, I guess I didn't know that. I didn't know that someone had reversed engineer it. And I guess, I think the PlayStation 5 is over 40 million. Um, and I, I at least remember correctly that Sony is projecting they'll sell 25 million PS5s this year alone. How does that make you think about the Xbox Series success so far? Um, 21 um, million versus over 40 million PlayStation 5s. And PlayStation may sell more this year than the Xbox Series has sold so far. Yeah, I, I mean, it's about what I... I think it's about what I would have expected. I'm not expecting this generation to be as big as the PS4 gen. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess we should say slash uh, Switch gen at this point, too. Even though... It's Nintendo's always kind of a half gen. Yeah, Nintendo's, it's own set. Nintendo's kind of off by half a generation versus Sony and uh, Microsoft. But, uh, you know... Yeah, so I just double checked. It is forty million as of uh, okay, not as Th of right now, but as of recently. Uh, and yeah, they're expecting a total of twenty five million sales this year. So, I mean, I uh, my expectation is that the PS five is probably selling about twice as well as the Series X, or I shouldn't say Series yes. X, the Series consoles, and that's where we're at. Um, and I don't know. I would have guessed Sony was at about forty to four fifty million, and Microsoft is. 20 million, something like that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think the PS5 is on track to probably beat the PS3, but not beat the PS4 in sales. That's what I would have expected for that one. I got to say, I'm a little surprised because it's almost three years since these consoles launched. I'm a little surprised that it seems like the series may sell less than the Xbox One. And that would give evidence that the reason the xbox one sold well at all is just momentum from the 360 and one could argue that trajectory hasn't changed it's all just momentum from the 360 that's going yeah, I down mean, i just don't think microsoft ever like with their games ever got back to the point where they were with the 360 like with quality of games like xbox one had some good games but I, I think 360 was really the heyday for good games when it came to, well, good exclusives when it came to Microsoft. Microsoft still, still publishes good games, but from time mm -hmm. to time. But uh, I, I don't know. They've just never got reached that height. Like, 
they're trying to have Halo be there. They still want Halo to be a big thing, and it's just not anymore. And I don't think, I think pretty much everybody agrees like Halo 2, 3 was the height of that series. And Oh, yeah. It, yeah, I, 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 it just has to kind of be momentum from the uh, 360 at a certain point. And I could see the Series X being a bit of a slow burn and still selling up to like 50, 60 million consoles um, just because it's a decent gaming box. But I, I don't think the brand is as great as it used to be for their hardware, at least. Right. And it doesn't surprise you that it really, I mean, there seems to be sections of the enthusiast internet that talk about it more than before, but it doesn't seem like there's any proof it's more popular than last gen which was for some reason just more acceptable to bash yeah online, but actually may have outperformed this gen <laughs> well i um i think microsoft uh, i mean i should say xbox as a brand has managed to keep itself relevant just because of games pass which mm-hmm. that's becoming two different things where xbox is kind of slowly becoming less and less like line of consoles and more becoming just a gaming brand slash uh, ecosystem, which that's slash what a cons- mini fridge manufacturer slash mini fridge manufacturer. Yeah. I mean, which that's always what a, a, a console is, but they're mini fridge manufacturer. Yeah, it, yes. That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> but sorry, the, go on. no, but like maintaining an ecosystem is always what you're doing when you release a console, but they're trying to make that ecosystem more about being a member of the xbox like community whether that's on their hardware they sell you or not or if it's on a pc so from mm-hmm. that perspective i think the xbox is, has maintained some level of relevance even if their console isn't doing super great mm-hmm. um the boss Haas writes in and says re apu memory uh for that you guys have Talked about uh, several episodes ago and then had corrections. Here's another one. <laughs> For APU memory, I think Asus actually recently mentioned something about the why you might have to configure the default VRAM amount on an APU in the BIOS. Basically, they were saying that it's useful to have some RAM set aside as VRAM for compatibility purposes. They say that some mostly older games that aren't optimized for APUs will fail to boot if they don't see a base VRAM amount or having enough available. If they don't boot, there's no chance for dynamic allocation to occur. Otherwise, it would seem to make sense to just leave it set to auto on APUs and get the most RAM for desktop applications until it is needed once you boot up a game. All right. Well, I think that finally puts to rest that whole discussion about what's going on with some BIOSes saying, oh, you can have four gigabytes, eight gigabytes, 16 with various AMD APUs we've been looking at recently. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let us then move on to something a bit stronger than an APU from AMD with story number one. Multiple AIBs T is Navi 32, 7800 XT, and 7700 XT, while the ARC 7500 gets alleged specs leaked. All right, we are going to cover this because we kind of need to. Both PowerColor and ASRock have supposedly leaked the RX 7800 XT and RX 7700 XT as Navi 32 cards with full specs on their websites. We, of course, need to cover this because, well, you all probably wanted to hear our take on this because everyone was talking about it for a few days. But this writer almost chose not to cover it because it just seems fishy. For example, PowerColor left the 7800 XT page up with full specs for an entire day, which just (laughs) seems almost like it was intentional, doesn't it? Like, wouldn't AMD 
call them and say, don't put that up, not just leave it up for a whole day. Anytime we've seen leaks of graphics cards that actually came out from like Gigabyte before, it was usually up for like a minute and then they pulled it or something. Anyways, yeah, though, it, it was up for a minute. So uh, website scrapers could get it. But <laughs> yeah, basically, but like leaving something up for a whole day, just all right. But anyways, that seems weird to me. And I reached out to a source at NVIDIA, actually, that told me this person never buys that crap, that you usually see stuff like this in August. And actually, I was going through old videos and just kind of like looking up the trajectory of old graphics cards in preparation for that RDNA 4 video I did. And I found an old Adored TV video that was like, it's time for the silly leak season. It was in August. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just a thing. There's just weird leaks, intentional leaks before back to school season. And this person at NVIDIA said, we do this all the time. We intentionally give AIB's info. We know they're going to leak to mess with AMD. And we can promise you AMD's always doing that back to us. So that's also weird to me. And additionally, both me and the Twitter account, all the Watts have heard the names 7,800 and 7,700 mentioned for 550 and $450 price points. So this, again, would not be consistent with these recent leaks. But could it be legit? Could both PowerColor and ASRock, weirdly in similar times, just put up full specs and pages? I guess they could have. But if this is true, if this is what's going to happen, AMD's going to launch a 7800 XT with only 60 compute units, I think that's fucking stupid. That's all I will say about it, right? Is that that's not what I've heard. That's not what all the Watts heard. Sources I talk to think this is a weird choice. But it could be true. It could be. AMD did launch something called the 7900 XT that should have been called the 7800 XT. I guess that would be consistent with this. Um, oh, and speaking of all the Watts, he leaked alleged specs of the ARC 7500. Look, it's a cut down Navi 33 card that will be 15 to 20% le- weaker for allegedly 20% less money. So, so basically just directly replacing the RX 6600 at the price of the RX 6600 at the same power consumption as the RX 6600, but with like five to 10% higher performance and better ray tracing or something. So that's not that interesting really, but I guess that's a lot better than what the RX 6500 XD was, if that ends up true. Uh, All right, yeah, Dan. It's substantially better, but there's yeah, not really that much else to say about it, I don't think. <laughs> no, but what did you think about these leaks of a Navi 32 7800 XT 16 gig with 60 CUs and then a 7700 XT 12 gigabyte card? Yeah, yeah, they, well, the 7800 XT or 7700 or whatever it's going to be called, uh, the lower navi 32 card i'll just call it to not be more clear uh the specs don't seem to be that clear yet so i don't really know how much to make of them i mean 192 bit that means three mcds and from what i'm told it will have either 48 or 54 compute units because again that's just how you can there are only so many ways to disable the shader engine in rdna3 so Someone I know who works at these companies might tell me, like someone at AMD might say, I don't know how they're going to sell it, but I can tell you literally the only configurations that are possible. That's 48 and 54, supposedly. Okay. Um, If not going down even further, but I would suggest that's what they go with. And yeah, so what? That's 20 to 30% more or or 20 to 35% more CEUs than the 6700 XT and a slightly better architecture. Yeah, if that's called the 7700 XT for 450, that'd be a card... 20 to 40 percent faster i think that's fine to call the 7700 xt at 450 don't you yeah okay so i think we can put that one aside and go that one makes sense to us but go on the 7800 xt 
or big Navi 32, I guess. Uh, uh, it looks like it. Well, I mean, Navi, 32, Navi is, 32. Yeah. So that's 60 CU. So some card with 60 CUs has to exist. It's just this seems relatively weak for a uh, f- for something that's going to go below the 7900 XT, although it's within the realm of possibility, I guess. And I, I'm not sure what you would slot in between this and the 7900 XT unless you do another like hybrid Navi 3132, like the 7900 GRE. Where those, there's those the 70 market. CU models. I mean, there's no reason they can't launch a 70 CU gaming card as the 7800 XT, then have a yeah. 60 CU 7800. That would make sense to me. Um, I think that would be substantially better than whatever this is, because one, just from their, a lineup perspective, I think you what you would have like a 30% performance golf between that and the 7900 XT, possibly. Some, oh, yeah. I mean, well... Yeah, you, you'd probably have, yeah, like a 30, 10, wait, let me think, 10, yeah, like 30 it's to 30, 40%, well, yeah. It's 30% fewer compute units. If it clocks faster, obviously you make up for some of that, but it, it, just it's like 40%. At, yeah. <laughs> so at these specs, I just think it gives them a pretty lopsided lineup. So it, assuming this thing that we're calling the 7800 XT is somewhere in the lineup, I would hope it's more something like a 7800 or the clock speeds on this are wrong and it just clocks incredibly high. <laughs> and like who knows that. if that's what they're messing with and oh, it turns out it just runs at three gigahertz, which if it did, to compare that to the 7900 GRE, well, okay, we'd be looking at at least the same bandwidth and we'd be looking at then at 2.2 gigahertz versus three, that's like 40% higher clocks. Yeah, I mean, you'd be looking at something that's actually probably only 10% weaker. <laughs> and if that's the case, you know, if it's like, okay, this has 20% less CUs than the 6800 XT, but it's clocked 30% faster, I guess. But I still think even in that case, a se- calling it a 7800 just makes more sense. Like, you can correct yourself amd well they cannot make everything else have a dumb name just because one of your cards did yeah they can correct the product stack to an extent and because if something is going between the 7900 xt and the 7800 or in this it shouldn't be a 7900 i i mean i looked at um i i looked at uh tech spots review or like hardware and box review. I mm-hmm. don't know. I couldn't think of their names for a second there. I looked at their review for like the 7900 GRE. And if it's in that class of performance, I don't think it deserves the moniker of 7900. So this, I'm, I'm hoping something <laughs> like this would be uh, called the 7800. And then at the top of their lineup, AMD's cards just look a little goofy this time around, which isn't that huge of a deal. No. Um, I guess, you know, no matter what the name is, because this is worth pointing out, a name, whatever, who cares what the name is, what is the performance and what's the price? Um, you know, yeah, I mean, Hardware Unboxed put out the review of the 7900 Golden Rabbit Edition, uh, mm. uh, the day we're recording this, or if not, the day before. And, um, like, I think it just basically was a hair weaker than the 6950 XT or something, or... It, it trades blows. Let's just say that it's better in some games, worse than others. And that places it 15% weaker than the uh, 7900 XT. Okay. And then that's 650. And the 7900 XT is 
750 so that's 20 percent more for like 15 percent more performance or something mm-hmm. i think now that we have the 7900 gre even if it's not really available in most places <laughs> as a real thing it still kind of tells you well all right at a minimum i would expect even if it is clocked faster to be 10 percent weaker the 7800 xt or 7800 to be 10 weaker and i think that means that I think 550 probably and is what this is going to be if it hits high clock speeds. And if not, they might go a little lower, I think. But I think it, it's more and more looking like, yeah, about 550. Yeah. If the these are the final specs for this card, 60C is 2.5 gigahertz. I think it. I don't think it should be more than $530. But uh, with the if this clocks faster... I think they can maybe get five sixty dollars compared to or the five seventy nine uh, or something. Yeah, when compared to the uh, seventy nine hundred XT, because if they don't, AMD is going to keep having that problem where at their higher end of their product stack, the seventy nine hundred XTX is still some reason the best value proposition, despite being the most expensive one. Yeah, and I want to be clear because this happens every time we talk about pricing. People in the comments go, "How can you say that's a okay price? Everything should be ten dollars." Guys, we're not saying we want it to be five fifty. We are saying it would be a better price performance in the MSRP of last gen, which last gen was always priced above MSRP or for two thirds of the like the sales period was. And this would be basically slotting in with what you can buy now, but it uses less energy and has better ray tracing at 550. For me to actually think this would make a splash, I think it needs to be 500. I think this should be 500 for a 16 gigabyte card. It'd be priced the same as the 4060 Ti and wipe it off the map in performance. And then, and I know they could afford to. And then I think the 7700 should be like 430 with 12 gigabytes. Like, yeah, we're not going to charge the same price as the 4060 Ti. You know why? Because this is just obviously better. So we're not going to. Yeah. But we're going to only, we're not even going to charge 10% more. That's 430 and 500, I think is where you get to a place where, yeah, the, or maybe even 409 or 420, something like that, where it's like that extra $20 more than NVIDIA, but it's, I don't know, you know, like 20, 30% better with 50% more RAM. And then they have something that costs 20% more and is 20% stronger. You know, I think that's where they would be to make a decent deal. And again, remember, people, they'll come with Starfield and they're probably about to announce FSR 3, as we'll get to in a second. So I still think that's where it's interesting. If it's 550 for this thing, I'll just go. I mean, I guess that's the most they should be charging, but I'm I'm not going to be excited about it. Yeah, I, I don't know. There is a weird thing where, like, I'm looking at this, and it doesn't seem like it will be substantially stronger than, like, a 6800 XT even. Right, like, just addressing the elephant in the room, I think it's idiotic to call something the same performance as, like, you can't call it a 7800 XT if it's the same performance as a 6800 XT. So. Yeah. You know, the only way they would do that is if they think FSR 3 is so good, this is going to sell it. Uh, which, again, AMD, NVIDIA did that, and no one bought it for that reason, for DLSS 3. So, no. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think AMD is go, going to be going into selling FSR, fighting an uphill battle, because I think the assumption is, and 
maybe I'm just speaking for myself is my assumption is that FSR three is going to be DLSS three. I mean, uh, it's going to be frame gen, but worse. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I, 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 I'm to be honest. I think AMD knows (laughs) that they can't do that and they are launching this a year after their generation is out. It would probably be because there's something else to it. Uh, I, I mean, if the upscaling that they're offering with FSR 3.0 is substantially better, that's great. I, I'm just... I don't skeptical. know if better. I just think there's going to be some other thing they're going to have with it that to market it that yeah. NVIDIA might not. I, I'm just immediately skeptical of like whatever their fluid frame technology thing that they're also going to be adding is. Oh, I am too. I'm just... <laughs> I know. I, I just... I, and I'm not saying it'll be better. I'm just like, there's... Maybe maybe there's just some feature it has that we don't know about. Right. Oh, yeah. And listen, I have a card that's going to use FS... Going to be supposedly the best at using FSR 3 with the 7900 XTX. So I'm hoping it's good. <laughs> but, well, on that note, then let's just skip right to story uh, number two. I think every classic deserves to be framed, even gaming classics like the Game Boy Color. And if you agree with me, you can find cool art like this at gridstudio.cc. This piece of content is brought to you by gridstudio.cc, a brand that likes celebrating classic gaming and computer hardware art and honestly thinks that it belongs on your wall, not in a landfill. It's just a better use of e-waste. And well, right now they're actually celebrating a back-to-school sale where you can get extra savings if you use offer code BROKENSILICON for an extra 10% off. So whether you're interested in framed iPhones, old Nintendo or Sony consoles, or even things like the Sega Game Gear, which I remember thinking that thing was super cool when I was little. I might want to get that one too. You can find all of that at gridstudio.cc and you can support the channel by clicking on that link in the description and especially by using offer code BROKENSILICON to save you some money. Check out gridstudio.cc today. FSR3 launches soon. What does it need to accomplish? So last week, this channel put out a rather extensive RDNA 4 update that we will get to with new exclusive details, by the way, in a minute. But first, let's just cover this as leaked last week from this channel. Supposedly, FSR 3 is coming out within one to two months. I don't have an exact date yet, but I am told the goal is to launch before the end of quarter three, which would be September, which would point to if I'm reading between the lines and from what I'm hearing from other people about how many details are actually circulating yet, which is to say not a lot. Mm-hmm. I'm going to suggest there's going to be a paper launch of FSR three next month to promote Navi 32 when they announce and launch it. And then there will be a full real launch of it actually in the end of September or October. That's what I'm thinking, which if you'll remember everybody, FSR two launched like what a week before you could even get death loop or something like it wasn't even usable, but they like had like one game in early testing with it or something. And then it was really out like a few months after that. That's what I kind of think is going on with FSR three here, but I don't know. What do you think about that? I guess when it's, I guess, what do you, what do you think Dan about when it's coming out? And, uh, which I, 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 again, I'm just going to say, I do not think it's going to be in a bunch of games right away. Or if it will, this is going to floor everyone I've talked to. Like the, that would mean like right after this podcast comes out, AMD just meets at a bunch of studios and is like, here it is, put it in. But what what do you think about the timeline of it actually coming out? And and what do you think it needs to do to be successful? 
Um, I mean, I think if they can get it integrated into more than a small selection of games before the end of this year, that would be great because I think I think one of AMD's biggest issues is they are very slow in delivering a lot of the time what they say they're going to. So like they said, they talk about FSR 3.0 and uh, fluid frames almost a year ago now at this point, if I'm remembering correctly. They haven't really said much about it, it since. And if they show it off and like, oh, it's going to be in this one game uh, at launch or a month after launch, I just think that's going to be viewed as kind of a nothing burger. And I do think they need to start getting their technologies out there quicker than what they've been doing. So like if it's in a bunch of games by the end of this year or even first quarter next year, that would look good for them. Yeah, well, you know what comes out next month, Ann? What? Starfield. Well, if they can show it off in Starfield and Starfield actually runs well, which it's a Bethesda Studios game, so skeptical Isn't of that. Deathloop, Deathloop also from Bethesda? Uh, not Bethesda Studios, that was Arcane. Right, but it's still it's still published by them, right? Yes, yeah. Right. So, okay, with FSR 2, a Bethesda-published title launched with FSR 2. Uh, yeah, I'm hearing kinda... FSR 3 is coming out in September. A Bethesda-published game is coming out in September. I think stating the obvious would be it's going to launch with Starfield, and that's why they've been so cagey about FSR support with that game and what's going on. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, if they could have it launch with FSR 2, that would be... I mean, Starfield launch with FSR2 support, that would be a good showcase. And it would be a lot more than just, I, I don't know, some small game that they managed to make with a, a smaller studio. Having one of the biggest uh, AAA releases of the year uh, be what it launches with would be great. <laughs> I think that's pretty obvious. That's probably what's going on here. And that would be yeah. also next to when they're launching Navi32. So they want to go, guess what? Navi32 is here. Uh, it comes with Starfield, and Starfield is FSR three. That's and, probably what's going on. And, and then they'll figure out a way to advertise, like even with our uh, mid tier cards, you can get a hundred frames per second or something with FSR three. Which is why it's okay. The seventy eight hundred XT is no stronger than the sixty eight hundred XT. <laughs> God, I hope that's not what they're doing. But what do you think FSR three itself? needs to do to be successful though like uh, uh, so just we... just do like because i i don't think it's gonna have something like asynchronous time warp in it yet to like help with latency or i don't know like i i think we, we both agree it would be surprising if it had a significant latency advantage at same interpolated frames as nvidia if it did what a coup but you would agree that seems unlikely probably uh, unless what they're doing is like literally just some frame interpolation where they where they implement some technology that really doesn't care about visual quality at all and it's just doing a, an interpolation between the two frames without like because despite all of the complaints about like uh the what uh the interpolated frames look like on uh dlss 3.0 and they still mostly maintain their their visual fidelity, except for every once in a while, you get a crazy one, and there's you get usually, a dolly picture yeah. in between a frame, and then some. Uh, most of the frames have uh, severe artifacting. Like I, I hope what they're doing isn't like some even worse version of artifacting, but it doesn't 
add as much latency, but I could see that being. That's what you say. I remember, I think a a half a year to a year ago, like your hunch was, well, AMD's solution may be we're going to add something that has a significant latency advantage over NVIDIA and gets a similar frame rate, but it looks worse. But they're going to go, yeah, well, apparently no one cares about visual quality anymore. So here's a million shit frames. Have fun. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that's a, a... uh crazy take but i i don't know what else it could be they don't their ai just isn't to the point where i i think they can have like an ai based mm. interpolation thing so well they have some accelerators and, and, and matrix stuff in a rdna3 that they could use to leverage that if they wanted to but i i do think it's going to mostly be like what they've been doing they i think it's going to be a software it's going to be a software approach rather than a hardware level approach from amd um, mm-hmm. so I don't know what that will look like. Honestly, what I'm hoping for with FSR, FSR is just better upscaling than what they have now. And right. Some, so that they've also improved image quality when you're not turning on the bullshit frames. Yeah. And then I would love to see them also implement another feature like, uh, in, in, that competes more directly with NVIDIA reflex, which, mm. uh, I, I don't, th- I'm not betting money that that will be there, but that's honestly what I would like to see more than anything. <laughs> yeah, there was something else too. I forgot what it was called. There was like some Radeon RX or like super one click improve everything thing that they still oh, have yeah, just weirdly not talked about. So I'm I, I assume they should about. want to reveal that in a month as well. But yeah, I agree. I mean, I guess you didn't really answer my question that you kind of said what you think they might be doing. What do they need to do to be successful? Is is your proposal something that you think would be successful? Just going, hey, ours actually doesn't have a big latency issue. Uh, and now we've got this new way of lowering latency further than NVIDIA can. And also our frames look worse, but you get a million of them if all you want to do is see a giant chart or a giant bar in a chart. We now have the biggest bar, the lowest latency, and no one cares about visual quality anymore. You think that would be a successful selling point, though? Um, I think the, fl- I think the interpolated frames are already kind of a lost selling point. So I just think having a latency, uh, a, a good, uh, f- piece of software to lower latency and just further increasing visual fidelity with FSR 3.0 is their winning strategy because interpolated frames, I just don't think most people want to talk about. <laughs> right. And so maybe the shortcut is just hey, we made visual quality better when you're not interpolating. But if you do interpolate, we beat NVIDIA on paper in latency and our charts longer. So whatever, we're done. Yeah, because to, right, I, um, I don't remember where NVIDIA is at now with what the, the if they're onto, what is it, 2.3 now or something, right? For DLSS? Oh, I don't even know. I think it might even be 2.4. I don't really okay. pay attention. But like when DLSS 3 launched, it was literally just like DLSS 2.3 with uh the frame generation added on mm-hmm. top of it. So I, I mean, I, I just think uh, AMD needs to play catch up with those technologies. Um, and I they need re- more than interpolation and even a cool gimmick with their interpolation. They really need to update everything. I agree. Yeah, and, and I just think if they try to do what uh, Nvidia did and super emphasize, like if they show like a graph of the seventy eight hundred XT being 2.3 times stronger than a 6800 XT, I think that it, it's going to be losing. Uh, yeah. Or it's going to lose uh, uh, in 
like discussions Perception. on Reddit and yeah, yeah, discussions online. Um, XTX999 writes in and asks, hello, Tom, XTX owner here. I couldn't have guessed. With your FSR3 leak last night, if Navi32 is delayed for any reason or they chose to not launch it next month, do you think FSR3 would be pushed back along with that graphics card? Um, well, what I wrote down ahead of time is maybe, uh, depending on when they actually want to launch the RX 7800 series or whatever, uh, because I still think it's really early and mostly not ready. So if the card's not there next to it, I wouldn't be surprised if they pushed it back a week or two. Having said that, launching FSR3 helps RDNA 3 in general. So it's not really only for that graphics card. And if it is tied to Starfield, which I suspect it is, they, yeah, it's like, yeah, I could see them pushing it back a week or so, right, to coincide with the launch. But I don't see them pushing it back months unless it's just completely not ready because this helps all RDNA 3 sales. We're starting to get into almost the holiday shopping, back to school sales, and you'd want it ready for Starfield no matter what, so. Well, I, I do think, though, well, yeah, if it's coming out with Starfield, then obviously the launch date for our FSR mm-hmm. 3 is Starfield. But um, I do think it benefits AMD a lot if they're able to, or it will benefit the release of FSR a lot if they have it coincide with a hardware release, where I think... I think an AMD like live stream will just draw more attention if it's about a hardware release. And I think fewer, it will drive less attention about the new, their new uh, technology if it doesn't come out with hardware. So I, I, I think it is worth pushing it back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Cause then, yes, you know, you'll have Tim at Hardware Unbox do a whole evaluation no matter what. Um, but mm-hmm. having it tied to RX 7800 reviews would make it get way more press. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, so, yeah, it would make sense, too, unless they have to have it out for Starfield anyways. But even then, it's like, I don't know. I mean, you can update Starfield. Isn't that the point of Bethesda games to have them not finished at launch? Um, <laughs> Dave Schultz writes and says, when FSR 3 arrives and it's much closer to DLSS than it is now, hopefully, More people might switch to AMD for that. However, there are still some people stuck with NVIDIA due to a wider support of CUDA. Do you think that eventually, and if more AMD cards are sold, we'll see some talented people trying to develop something like a Proton layer, but translating CUDA to OpenCL? Yes, and they're already trying to do that. Like, I actually heard recently that they're, like, kind of close. So the answer is absolutely they're trying to. Um, TMC Payton writes in, Howdy. People talked for months about a potential fix for the issues in RDNA 3's Navi 31 die, possibly coming in other RDNA 3 products. Can you name an instant where an architecture had a significant flaw in silicon that was later fixed down the road, even if the fix was only present in another die of the same architecture? Thanks. Well, yes, not even silicon. GCN 1.0 just got like a 20-30% performance boost in a driver update. So that that was right there. And if I'm remembering correctly, like that, that was a huge update when that came out because I mean, it essentially drove every card in the 7,000 series, right? Like it drove every card in that series, like up basically one tier. (laughs) Yeah. And there were several fixes they did to make the drivers better for the HD 7,000 series. My understanding, though, is that some of it was like CU and uh, at the time we said this more often stream processor utilization. 
And but there was also something with like data and memory management. And that is the reason the bigger the bus was, the more outsized an effect it could have, which is why the 7950, which is compute was quite low and, you know, and at times at launch could be comparable to 7870 performance at lower resolutions. I believe that the 7950, like most cards got a 10 to 20 percent boost and the 7950 got like a 30 percent. Well, I, I mean, that of that fix. I, I can't remember all of the cards that benefited the most from it, but it, it, yeah, it was variable depending on the card. But I remember at the time I was weighing between getting a 7870 and 7950, and I'm really glad I went with the 7950 because of that. <laughs> yeah, because that's when it truly separated out itself from the 7870. But so if your overall question, have we ever seen like an architecture just get improved with an update later? Yeah, we have. I mean, GCN 1.0. Now, was there ever a time where there was like some flaw in silicon that was fixed later? Well, Raptor Lake Refresh? Anyone? Mm -hmm. I mean, DLVR wasn't working, disabled. Now it's coming out. It will add 5 to 20% performance to Raptor Lake. Yeah, there you go. One year later, by the way, too. That's a later die or new version of it. In terms of graphics cards, it's hard for me to think of another one. I can say that the 390X had its memory controller tweaked to allow vastly higher memory clocks than the 290X could. So that's kind of another similar example. Mm -hmm. That's not really a flaw, though, I, I don't think. Um, but with regards to Navi 32, though, I, th I think there's a 50-50 chance that, or probably not even 50-50, probably most likely. I mean, I've heard that there's a very good chance that Navi 32 is mass manufactured half a year ago, if not at the end of last year. And they just have a warehouse of them sitting there. So at this point, I I, I find it very unlikely they've fixed it. <laughs> um, you know, we'll see, though. In a month, I it would be a welcome surprise if they're like, ah, it runs at 3.2 gigahertz or something. But if that was the case, I would still sit back and go, well, then why? I get why Navi 33 and 31 wouldn't have been fixed because those were manufactured at the same time. In fact, there were rumors 33 was going to come out first. Um, but then you look at Phoenix, which kept getting pushed back a little bit, and you almost wonder, could that have been fixed later, though? And that I, I don't know. I, I still yeah. look at some of that and go, I don't know. Then why is Phoenix like that? You know what I mean? I don't yeah. know. So I find it unlikely at this point that theory is gonna or that potential speculation will end up panning out all right let us now switch gears a little bit here to story number three nvidia halts lovelace production a couple of weeks ago this channel put out one leak that really isn't all that surprising just like they did in late 2021 with ampere it was covered by this channel back then they're doing it again RTX 5000 and even many of the professional cards that share those dies are having production reduced to the absolute minimum, the minimum TSMC's contracts with NVIDIA will allow in order to shift as much capacity from dies like 80102, 103, 104, 105, 106 to Hopper. If you don't want to pay Lovelace prices, apparently Jensen's fine with that. He'll just sell Hopper instead. Now, to be clear, we have heard that there is still, and I may cover this next week in another video because I have some specifics. We're still hearing, or I'm still hearing, that there is an immense amount of GA 104, 106 Ampere oversupply left over, and also that NVIDIA has likely already produced enough Lovelace cards for sales that they expect to get for the rest of the year, especially considering sales are down. So all of this makes sense. 
But if you are expecting NVIDIA, in other words, to just keep making Lovelace uh, instead of H100s that they can sell for $30,000, nope. Maybe the 4080 is going to go down in price to 1000 Maybe we'll see other slight price drops. But NVIDIA is reducing production of Lovelace. Don't expect any drastic 30% price drops like we've seen with RDNA 3. Um, all right. What do you think, Dan? Oh, I mean, if they can sell their stuff to... If they have two sources they can sell... I mean, two types of customers they can sell their thing to, their stuff to, and one of them isn't enthusiastic about buying it anymore... Yeah, just shift it over, um, especially when the non-enthusiastic market also has a bunch of other leftover stuff that you also still need to get rid of. So, I mean, this just makes sense. They still need to clear out Ampere seemingly to to some extent. I, I, it seems like it's mostly gone now. Although, I don't know. Still it seems like lot, there's a, by the way, I've actually been given a specific number. Okay. It they, still seems like I mean, they're basically a, done with the top end of Ampere, but the low end, oh no. Expect to be buying 3050s for years, guys. <laughs> it, it seems like there is a bottomless well of 3060s and 3060 TIs to buy. <laughs> yes, it, that's a good way to put it, and there probably will be for a while. Okay, so, I mean, if nobody's buying the 40 series, which it really seems like no one is, I've heard sales are okay in some regions and that you might see an uptick in sales uh, under upcoming earnings, by the okay. way. So don't expect it to be as rock bottom as quarter one, but it's not selling as well as they wanted overall. Yeah, no. if the market isn't that enthusiastic about it, it's probably a better way to put it. And like you have cards like the 4090, which I'm... Based on the, th the story... I hear it sounds like the 4090 has basically reached close to market saturation at that price. Mm -hmm. Eh, I, 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 I don't know why they would keep manufacturing them unless they can drop it to like 1200 bucks, which I, I don't think they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Which even with directly constrained 4090 supply, which I've heard there are warehouses of them that they only trickle out to micro centers even a little below demand to try to not let that price collapse. It's still holding MSRP right now. So if you're NVIDIA, you're looking at that. It dropped below MSRP a month ago, you know, when I called the GPU pricing bottom. Um, but I think if you're NVIDIA, you go, why would I be selling? We did it. We captured the top enthusiast market. We probably sold 300,000 4090s to the richest gamers on earth. We're done. Uh, after that, though, why are we selling 4090s for 1600 and we can sell Hopper, which has a die 20% larger for 30 grand? What are we doing? Well, and I, I mean, a lot of a lot of Hopper has a lot of other expensive crap added on. It does. It has like right. a secondary chiplet and a few things, okay. but it's still and the HPM is obviously wildly more expensive. But still, you know, we're talking about. It's the going 40, into 90, a, having a 50 to 60 to 70% markup. And then you have Hopper, and we're talking about a 10, 5X mark to 10X markup. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah, when, uh, <laughs> when you have all of Silicon Valley, uh, trying to get your, your things to your GPUs to run uh, AI simulations, it's, you can charge a lot of money. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, if, not that many people want 4090s anymore, and they can put that same die in a wildly more expensive things, which seemingly has bottomless demand, at least for the uh, amount of they're producing. Uh, yeah, I, I start throwing them in H100s. 
Yeah. And it's unfortunate, you know, but I would just go, well, like I said, a month ago, I think is when the GPU pricing, at least for the foreseeable future, is bottomed. Like, I don't think you're going to see $1,000 4090s. You're not going to see $500 7900XTs this year. They've constricted supply. Um, also, apparently, you know, <laughs> from the AMD side, Navi 31 at $800 and $700 for the 7900XTX and XT sold insanely well to the point that they're like, yeah, it didn't need to be that cheap. <laughs> and I think. Again, all of this is to say, I'm not telling you to buy anything now. Obviously, buy something if you want to. And if something's only worth the price to you, if it's worth the price to you, if it's not, okay. But I, you're, they're not gonna let. They're not just gonna keep producing this until they have to sell them below cost, like Intel did with Alchemist. They're not gonna well, do that. And so, just buyer beware. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think they're they're running the risk of doing that if they don't do the if they don't get th- through their uh ampere stuff correctly and they they can't have two generations of backed up products mm-hmm. uh when so yeah they they kind of have to just lower the amount of a- a- ampere they're delivering because i don't know there's multiple <laughs> there are several things that make it make sense for them to do that they already have cards that are the power the uh power level that they need to sell that people are interested in in a lot of ampere products and the top end sells more so there's just not much of a reason to make lovelace at this point um woody chang writes in and says with nvidia diverting lovelace production to hopper it looks like they are starting to exit the high-end consumer market what kind of market conditions do you think it would take for them to consider staying in high-end consumer with super complex chips that don't have the margins of hopper long term also i presume that dan will bring his dog when he moves in with you is jesse okay with this jesse will could not be happier to have a friend hanging around with her for a bit for sure oh yeah um but anyways and and we'll we'll come back to this question after the next story but like what do you think would make nvidia go oh we not we need a just more 8102 more 4090 production what would make them switch back from hopper I mean, I don't know what could happen on the gaming side of the market that would cause that uh, to happen. I don't know if you have any ideas, but like my my idea is if the AI bubble collapses sooner than we think it does, and they don't, they have a bunch of uh, why can't I think of eighty one oh two or yeah eighty one oh two left to sell? <laughs> yeah, I mean. I think they would have to both have the AI market collapse. But keep in mind, even if that AI market collapses, I'm sure they can still make higher margins on a hopper chip sold for probably even 10 grand versus. Yeah, that's true. You know, so you'd still think, wouldn't this be the prudent decision? It's so such common sense to focus on this while the gaming market's down. And I, it would have to be, so it'd have to be that and something happens where they legitimately think they could lose half of the market if they don't do something. You know, it had to be both, I think, uh, because I don't think one or the other would make them care, because if it's just go losing market share one year to AMD, but then they make a trillion dollars. Oh, well. And on mm-hmm. the other hand, if it's AMD's uh, or the AI market collapses, it's like, yeah, but can't they still sell this even at like a third the price they are now and make more money? I mean, yeah, that's you have two collapsed true. markets. Which one's going to make you more money still? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I don't know. Do you have do you have any ideas of what that could something could even be if there is is a plausible something in the gaming market that would cause that though to cause like, AMD to get start doing that well and threaten them? Yeah. Um, if RDNA four was so good for the price, it was absolutely absurd, and FSR three turned out a complete coup at the same time. Okay. Both. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah. Always rooting for all companies to do as best as possible, but I don't see it being to that degree, even if both are successful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you'd see like RDNA 4 start taking a little bit of market share. I don't think you're going to see it take the whole market overnight. At least I don't see that yet. And on that note, that actually perfectly brings us to, let me see here, the time set to story number four. Ever get exhausted looking for a safe way to pay reasonable pricing for Microsoft software amongst tons of questionable listings on ebay and shady websites well now you don't have to do this any longer not if you go to cdkeyoffer.com this piece of content is brought to you by cdkeyoffer.com and their back to school sale whether it's microsoft operating systems office products or even many of the latest AAA games cdkeyoffer.com provides pc gamers with a product that i honestly think this community does need in a world where far too many of our components that make up our pcs are getting more expensive every year the last thing we need is monopolistically priced software to remain on that list of stupid stuff we pay too much for and you know the Moore's Law is Dead team has been working with CDKeyOffer.com for many years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to family members that use their website when they build a PC. And they've been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community as well. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course Microsoft products, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products or DieShrink for 3% off everything else. Support us at cdkeyoffer.com today. AMD cancels RDNA 4 flagship Navi 4C configuration to accelerate RDNA 5. And this podcast, we now have pictures of what it looks like. All right. While Tom was on vacation in Portland, Maine a couple weeks ago, several Twitter leakers sounded the alarms that RDNA 4 had had its most high-performance configurations canceled. Now, While many people instantly jumped to the conclusion that this means AMD is leaving high-end forever, others, like me, instead did not show much surprise because, well, this channel had already leaked that NVIDIA was considering leaving the high-end in a few generations and also that AMD was having trouble with Navi 40 and thus decided to jump into research. And I decided to jump into research for the full story instead of either disregarding these rumors or jumping to conclusions. And, well, the video's out. I concluded, yes, AMD is canceling Navi 41 and 42. RDNA 4 itself seems like it is a good architecture that is running smoothly, and it basically has a version of it kind of in the PS5 Pro coming out in a year. But the chiplet design itself is having issues that may not be fixed till RDNA 5. So think about what that means, people. You have the soft design of the overall RDNA 4 architecture and abstract at a bird's eye view. The hard design is then translating it onto silicon. If it's monolithic, should go fine. If it's a bunch of chiplets that are being arranged in a new way, that's really not an RDNA 4 problem. That's a chiplet problem. And so AMD, it seems, has made a hard judgment call to divert resources from trying to get this chiplet stuff working early with RDNA 4 and instead 
try to launch RDNA 4 as much as they can on time while diverting and saving money to try to make RDNA 5 come out as soon as possible with this elaborate chip millet organization. Uh, organization. This is nothing new, as AMD has done this before. When they went from Polaris to Vega, there was a big Polaris that was canceled. And when they went from RDNA 1 to RDNA 2, there was a big RDNA 1 that was canceled in favor of accelerating RDNA 2. Then RDNA 2 came out in time for Ampere. So really, this doesn't even mean AMD necessarily won't have a high-end card to compete with the RTX 5090. Although I would suggest the 5090 will probably launch before RDNA 5. But keep in mind, if RDNA 4 were to come out a year from now, and then half a year after that, Blackwell, and then half a year after that, you know, uh, RDNA 5, it's not like they really missed a generation of high-end anyways. Furthermore, I actually have a couple of documents I've been sitting on for months from some people at AMD that finally gave approval, now that they're canceled, to share this info. And I actually think this is worth mentioning ahead of time here. Uh, A lot of my leaks, I just have full documents of potential designs months or even sometimes a year before I leak the information but I choose not to leak partial information because I don't think it's enough to make an interesting video about. And I don't want to tip off, frankly, other people who make videos about this kind of stuff, where to start digging for the info. Uh, In other words, I try to keep my powder dry until I see the whites of the leak's eyes. If you will, though, it does seem that now 4C is canceled and it's safe to show. So Gerard put this on screen. Now, I'm confident this is safe to show now. I... Uh, because how I got it from where I got it from someone at AMD, that there's no way this traces back to where this was coming from. And what you need to know is, let me ask you, Dan, it's on screen right now. We'll have Jared leave this on screen for like minutes, please. This looks a lot more complicated than RDNA 3, no? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if those are all different packages and dyes, right? Or dyes, right? Yes. So you have a substrate. And then above that, you have active interposer dies. And then above those, you have shader engine dies. I'm told three of these can be placed on each active interposer die. So I don't know how many, because this is just from one side, right? I don't have all sides of this. This is one side. That means there's at least three interposer dies. And then you have like nine shader engines at a minimum. And then there's a multimedia and IO die <laughs> next to it. And then I ha- this isn't on this diagram because this is from something else that I'm not allowed to share. I believe there is also additional memory controller dies in some other direction on here. <laughs> so you have active interposer dies, shader engine dies, and like not just two, like nine or more, uh, multimedia dies and memory controller, probably also infinity cache dies on a substrate. I mean, at a minimum, what are we looking at here? Nine, 12, 13. I mean, we're looking at at least probably 13 to 20 chiplets to make Navi 4C. Uh, and the way to no. think about it, everybody, is basically AMD split their current chiplet, chiplet GPU design further, putting external interconnects in places where they had major on-chip interconnects before. So like RDNA 3, there are still multiple of the same components, MCDs, you know, GCDs kind of. Uh, but the difference is they've split them up even more into smaller chiplets, and they've added additional ones, uh, with some people I talked to thinking that basically the front end could be broken up as well, which is something you don't do. So from a bird's eye view, the way to put it shortly and succinctly is the flow of data between the various parts is basically the same as RDNA 3, but it's been reorganized for further scalability 
and components that you usually wouldn't attempt to split up, they attempted to split up. They tried to do the impossible, and so, well, it needs more time to finish. And a lot of these terms, by the way, shader engine die, these are actually in a patent that me and contributors to Moore's Laws Dead found, referencing them as well, that seems to show very similar organizations. There were a few differences in the patent, but it basically showed this layout as well. And so that's backed up by a patent. Uh, for anyone doubting that this is a legit diagram of how Navi 4C worked. So there you go, Dan. RDNA 4 high-end has been canceled. For, uh, RDNA 5 is hopefully still going to come out. Um, when would it be? A little over two years from now, probably the very end of 2025, if I had to guess. And uh, on top of all of that, we now know that, yeah, Navi 4C wasn't just a little more complicated. It was way more complicated than RDNA 3 was. The, the one thing I'll, I'll say is, is there any chance that this could have been like a pro highly like prototypical or like maybe not pro, even like experimental level design that they were never expecting to go to market or, or I, I guess I have no clue, but <laughs> well, all I can confirm is, and again, this is the limited amount of stuff I'm able to show you guys on screen, <laughs> you know, yeah. without compromising sources is there are multiple things referencing some of these names. I think this was m pretty much the idea. Okay. Because that, that just sounds obviously like they have multiple competing designs, but I do think this was probably the plan. It just sounds like a ma a massive, uh, uptick in uh complexity of their design and I, I don't know it just surprises me that they would go from separating their uh why can't mcds from their compute dies uh in one generation to the like this in the next generation yeah uh, yeah because it almost I be guess, like it, it right wouldn't it almost be like going from zen one to zen two and then mi 300 next basically yeah. I, I mean i guess what the t uh navi 31 is seven tiles correct right yeah seven tiles yeah but so I, I mean there's still that's still a lot of tiles but i don't know that's just a <laughs> exponential increase in that complexity it seems like so i don't know i just thought i would ask is there any chance this was more experimental than than it sounds like it, or, or you're talking about it, but if it's not, it's not. There's no and, way for me to know for yeah. sure because AMD cordons off people who work on different IP blocks and yeah, so uh, on uh, and so forth. But a lot of the things referenced in this were mentioned by all my sources. So okay. I, I think I think this was the plan. So, I mean, I guess if that's canceled, then the next question is, is well, if that and 42 are both aren't coming out, how strong can Navi 43 even be uh, compared to what's already out? You know, SNS, SNES Chalmers writes in and he says, mm -hmm. regarding Navi 41 and Navi 42 being, let's say, sent to pasture and Navi 43 and 44 continuing his plan for a half lineup launch, is it too late or does it make sense for AMD to take Navi 43 specifically, make it a bit bigger to solidify it as a mid range, if not lower high end card? I won't go into speculation of how many CUs Navi 41 or 42 may have had, probably a ton. Uh, but I was under the impression that Navi 43 would be akin to 23 and 33. So around, I'm assuming, 200 millimeter squared, 128-bit bus, 32 to 40 CUs. From my perspective, it seems like increasing the die to 250 to 275 millimeter square, a 192-bit bus, and 48 CUs or more would be worth it to be close to a 70T 
TI to your die than a 600 TI die. For all I know, 43 was always going to be substantially bigger than its predecessor and no changes necessary. But I'm just curious on your guys' thoughts. Well, I guess before I actually answer a question, because I reached out to someone um, who, yeah, I guess I won't even say what company. I It's probably obvious, but <laughs> I reached out to someone who would know exactly when things need to get done. Um, uh, but before I answer the question, literally, let me say, logically, when I see 41 and 42 and then 43 and 44, and I've heard that AMD's done making tiny dies, um, I, I would, I would think any 44 should be bigger than what 24 was like I, 24 is 107 millimeter squared. I would assume 44 would make sense to be like, if I were AMD and this is just my me, not AMD, if I were AMD. I would design a RDNA 3.5 on 6 nanometer that's maybe slightly smaller than Navi 33 in the 7600 and try to have it be like 10% better and smaller, use 6 nanometer. Again, here's our low-end 8500 XT, right? That would be the 44. That makes the most sense to me. And then 43 would probably be, yeah, I would, I mean, you already got two crazy elaborate dies up here. I think you'd want this to be on a three nanometer, actually, because that's like the last standard die uh, or node. So you have something you can spit out for years as a monolithic design. I would assume they would have made that closer to 250 to 350 millimeters squared. And then everything above that's crazy expensive. That that would make the most sense to me logically. Wouldn't you agree? I, I mean, I'm just thinking from uh, what they're the architecture will even I mean, what their next line of cards will even look like versus what's out now. I mean, I I'm, would hope Navi 43 uh, is something like 350, 300 to 350 millimeters squared, just so that it's kind of in between whatever Navi 32 will be and Navi 31 almost, a, at least as far as like number of transistors goes. Mm -hmm. Or because if I'm not sure what uh, node this will be on, if it's if it's on three nanometer. Okay, well, I'm assuming they can fit a lot onto 350 millimeters, but, um, but because if it's on like not like six nanometer, though, I would be worried that I, I would be worried that these are going to be really oh, underpowered. No. <laughs> I think there's base. I think 44 maybe could be. That would okay. make some sense to me. Uh, but 43 would make more sense to be on four or three nanometer. And I would just point this out. Well, I'm going to assume this uses GDDR7. Um, if it does, or at a minimum, GDDR6 at the that will be thirty percent faster than what we have now. I think it's worth pointing out that like going from from five nanometer. Well, no, I mean, what are we even? I guess it depends how you want to compare it. But like, yeah, go going from six nanometer, let's say, to even four, let alone three, the CUs themselves will shrink very well. There's no reason they couldn't kind of take that base three, you know, 33 design going from six to three nanometer. Oh, you could easily have like 64 or 96 CUs on three nanometer, still have a 128 bit bus. But keep in mind, it's GDDR7. This is like almost, this, well, de depending on how far back we go, it's double the bandwidth of GDDR6. So, mm -hmm. and well, so, well, the IO controller won't shrink on three nanometer. Right. But, we now have RAM that's twice as fast. So, you know, I, I think it's conceivable that it could be some three nanometer design that's like 
I don't know, you know, like 72, like 64 to 80 compute units on three nanometer with fixed clock speeds and a 128-bit bus, eh, that could be decently strong. I would still suggest they probably want to go for 192-bit. And if they did, I mean, yeah, I have no reason to believe it couldn't actually be similar to high-end performance. I mean, look at what NVIDIA did with the 4070 compared to... Well, really, it's because it's the full die, the 4070 Ti, even compared to the, uh, yeah, even compared to the 3070 Ti. I mean, you're talking about something that's like 40% stronger with 30% smaller die size. And that's because even as a smaller bus, it's just because, well, yeah, but it has much faster RAM, you know? So, mm-hmm. well, actually, no, that's actually because of cash. So, sorry, that's somewhat of a bad example, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess just at the end of the day, I'm hoping that when all this comes out just set for the sake of amd remaining competitive i mean not their 33 die is going to need to be a lot big or is going to have a need to have a lot more on it than what their 23 if they if they want to keep mid-range relevance yeah yeah because i i mean what 23 and 33 both had 32 compute units on it i i would hope this has like what, 60, 60 maybe, or at least 40? Well, so to get to the actual question SNES Chalmers asked, though, um, according to an engineer I spoke to who definitely knows what the plan, what the, um, (laughs) how this works, I'll say, number one, because there are different things you can do, and this is something I've actually discussed with Daniel Nenny, I believe, not the last time he was on, but the time before, where, like, even if you're not changing the design, there are things you can do to tweak voltage and even power boosting. Like you can validate or have almost validated the final design, but then last minute go, we're going to slightly tweak this so that we can run at a higher voltage at a peak efficiency curve. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you can even tweak that last minute, but he goes, changing the chip configuration needs to be at least nine months before tape out. Tweaking transistor mixed to boost frequency is a few months before tape out and then bumping voltage power as a post tape out choice is a couple months before launch and there are some follow-up questions so in other words i asked so if amd was to beef this up like let's say the original navi 43 design was 48 compute units and 128 bit Right. And then like last minute, they want to say, well, we need to make this 50% bigger. We're going from a 200 millimeter square die to a 300. So it works better, which would be like 72 compute, which again, I think this is conceivable. Mm -hmm. 72 compute units, 192 bit, three nanometer. That wouldn't be a very big die, actually. Uh, That that actually might be like 250 millimeter squared. And if they fix the clock speed issues of already an A3 and it has more performance per CU, well, then, yeah, if it's running at like 3.2 gigahertz at 72 compute units, that might be the 7900 XT's performance. Double the bandwidth, oh, 192 bit. Right? Yeah, that, I mean, that could definitely. Yeah, that that's conceivable. This is conceivable <laughs> on three nanometer. Um, you know. That decision would have already had to have been made because from final design lock and basically. And then you have a tape out in a few months and then nine months to launch. It's basically a year. So. Mm-hmm. They would have had to have already made this decision, but maybe they did. Maybe they said, we're canceling the top dies, beef this up to be close to a 4090 or something on three nanometer, which, you know, I mean, depending on how they tend to min ma- try to min-max the design, it's conceivable we could get something like what we have now, 
but it costs a bit less and is way more efficient. So like a $600, 7,900 XTX. It's, I'm not confirming that's what it's going to be, though, because there's a lot of things they could decide, but they would have had to have already made that decision. But I would suggest they probably would have if they canceled those top dies. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's all really a matter of, well, one, when this is supposed to launch uh, and how recently all of these decisions were made, right? Because mm-hmm. if this is supposed to launch within... Well, I think this decision was probably made a couple weeks ago at most. Yeah, so if this is supposed to come out at the end of next year, okay, then it's conceivable that it's changed, which end of next year, at least with the cadence of graphics card launches, makes sense. But also if this is kind of more of a, a stopgap generation or a generation without a high end from AMD. Um, I don't know. Ha- having it come out a full two years later seems like it will kind of be underwhelming. But, you know, if they can be- beat the 7900 XT, or a- I'll be the 7900 XDX by a bit and just have a way cheaper generation, I, I think that would be positively received anyways. So. Well, it all comes down to price, which on that note, Chris Rich writes in. He says, next year, AMD should be launching Strix Point, Strix Halo, Navi 43, and Navi 44, which should nicely cover everything from low-end, low-power graphics to mid-range to a lot of cool laptops. So it's not like they're not doing a lot, except for those wanting a new $1,000 plus GPU, I guess. AMD's cancellation of 42 and 41 isn't going to cost us anything, though, except the chance to geek out over design then, don't you think? Well, in your opinion, what does Navi 43 need to be mo- need the most to be a success? Um, it needs to improve price performance because this gen sucks in that regard in a lot of segments, especially on Nvidia's end. Yeah, I, I mean price performance and features. Like if they can uh, deliver something that's like way better at ray tracing than uh, what RDNA three is. Which I hear that's the main focus. is isn't really raster so much as geometry and ray yeah. tracing performance. So if, if this generation they increase raster by like, I mean, next gen they increase performance by like 5% or something over the, the XDX. And it's like, and it's substantially more rast, uh, ray tracing at that. Um, I think that might just be received just as well as just increasing raster a bunch because we're reaching the limits of how much people care about raster performance anyways. But let's put things in perspective here. I believe the raw silicon cost in like Navi 31 is like $120 or something, maybe 140. If this was even a 300 millimeter squared die, and I'm assuming the wafer is 20 grand, which I think a lot of people think they might adjust down that cost from what the rumors Mm. are suggesting. You'd still be paying like one thirteen per die, so one hundred and thirteen dollars per die. Okay, but then keep in mind the board's cheaper to make, power consumption factors cheaper cooler than what we have now with the seventy nine hundred XDX. They have a two fifty to three hundred watt card that's a lot cheaper board design with silicon that's twenty percent cheaper and it gets a similar performance. Yeah, this could be six hundred dollars for the seventy nine hundred XDX performance with better ray tracing and efficiency. Yeah, I I think something like that, as long as it launches before Blackwell's out, if you can get something that's like a 4090 for 600 bucks, again, well, only consuming 250 watts and having comparable ray tracing I, I and 16 gigs of RAM, at least I think that'll be well conceived. And kudos if they do something goofy, like bring in that new half capacity memory chips and have a 24 gigabyte special edition. Oh, I mean, yeah, that's always possible. I, I, yeah, I. <laughs> 
I don't know. Just based on what you're describing, this doesn't sound apocalyptic. It just sounds honestly, it sounds like, uh, this is just going to be a generation that doesn't, that increases price performance and not performance, which, eh, that's kind of what we've been asking for. So, (laughs) well, yeah. And there was someone on Twitter that said, can't you just admit you're not just, you're disappointed. And I said, I'm not disappointed in anything until I see final reviews. I don't know what the specs were. I don't know if it was stronger than expected at this tier. I don't know what they're going to price it at. And me and you are on record on a broken silicon last year saying, oh, like someone asked, would you rather have the 5090 be $2,000 in double 4090 performance or have there be a 5080 that's as strong as the 4090 for 700? And we were like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bring 4090 performance down to the high end or mid range pricing. I don't need a new $2,000 card that frankly has more performance than I need. And no one can afford, especially not next gen. Like it, the 4090 is cool. It, it did it. It's the card that does everything. Wow. I'm impressed, but devs will not be making games look better as long as no one can fucking afford this thing. So I'd much rather have, that performance be democratized so that developers are like, oh, okay, high settings are going to target this level of performance and look photorealistic. That's way better. Yeah, and there's always um, periods in the uh, markets where there's a stagnation period and a uh, growth period, at least when it comes to performance. And eh, the advantages that you get from a stagnation period is stuff gets cheaper even if the new stuff that isn't as exciting <laughs> which to some extent that's better <laughs> qh freddy writes in and he says a lot of people seem to want a new polaris card but i feel people seem to forget that the only reason polaris sold for five years was because amd didn't make another card in that performance or price class for that entire time it's difficult to have a card sell the same way as a rx 480 or 580 did if amd actually were to be replacing it in its positions in the lineup. I think that's an interesting thing to point out. It's like everyone says, well, Polaris sold really well. And his point is, well, it's all they were making. So, Oh, yeah. I mean, Polaris sold well because how, how long were they selling that? Yeah, f- five years. <laughs> Still get it on Amazon for like 100 bucks. So, uh, Yeah, I mean, that's remembered in a lot of ways as the, the bad days of AMD. But I don't know. Yeah, they, they weren't dominating performance but they lost market share probably with rdna too they didn't with polaris it like maintained it at like 30 percent or 25 percent or something yeah because the 5 480 then the 580 gave reliable performance at a pretty good price (laughs) yeah yeah so i don't know i i think um again i think though to go back to the previous reader mail question i do want to bring this up though I, i i my opinion is there's a little bit of flex here in the performance and pricing for what will make it received well but i think at a minimum it should be aiming for 7900 xt performance it should be aiming for above 3090 ti right like which i think the 7900 xt is like five to ten percent faster you need to get above the 3090 ti and if all you do is achieve 7900 xt okay well then it needs to be 450 or something and if all you do is achieve 7900 xt well okay then it needs to be 600 at most xtx you mean XTX, yeah. And if all you do is achieve 4090 performance, then yeah, it can't cost more than 700 to be interesting. But I would suggest that if they don't have something coming next year, 
that's better than a 6800 XT, unless it's $300, it doesn't matter. So I will say to answer the previous question, I do think to be interesting, it has to be at a certain level. Like Polaris, and they knew it, they knew it at the time, had to be at least 290X, it had to be. Well, yeah, and if this doesn't get to 7900 XTX performance, they are going to be in a really weird place with how they sell that, unless they're able to, I don't know, sell the 7900, somehow reduce the price of Navi 31 and sell that at a lower price or for like 700 or 800. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because if their generation is, well, uh, our high-end card is actually weaker than our last-gen high-end card, that's not a good look. Well, speaking of bad looks, Compressed Earthblocks writes in, and he says, Welcome back from vacation, Lord Thomas. Say AMD releases an RDNA 3.5 or 4, whatever they call it, in quarter 3 or 4 of next year as planned, and it's exactly like Radeon 7 to the 5700 XT, which is to say, depending on the situation, it's a wash in performance. Sometimes one or the other wins by 5 to 10%, but the newer one, the 5700 XT in that case, has increased power efficiency, a smaller die size, it can be manufactured for like two-thirds the price or half the price. Is this a win for consumers? In other words, two years later, same performance, but everything outside of performance, including price, is drastically improved. I ask if this is a win for consumers because I do understand that this is a choice from a business standpoint that makes sense, but I got to say that this does feed into the perception out there that Radeon has a hard time competing with NVIDIA doesn't it? I think the more educated and informed consumers in this space would look at that and understand why this is happening. But for the average consumer, which are the vast majority of sales, doesn't this feed into this perception that Radeon's always stumbling around and can't really compete with NVIDIA? What are your thoughts? I mean, at the end of the day, probably, but at a certain point, I don't really understand what can reverse perceptions for uh, on AMD because at this generation, AMD is just straight up selling their cards for like 25% less sometimes and for, for, or the same, for the same or slightly better performance than NVIDIA. So I, I actually don't know what AMD can do to reverse that perception. Um, and yeah, I don't think, I think releasing a generation where they can't compete with uh, NVIDIA's top end even more than they can't right now. So like, let's say the 5090 comes out and it beats the 4090 by like 30% or something or 40% again, mm-hmm. then yeah, you might, you're going to have a situation where NVIDIA's top card is, yeah, probably more than twice as strong as AMD's top card. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't know what will happen, I suppose, if when we're at the, the extreme... Uh, end of this value proposition where what if the 4090 is twice as powerful or slightly more than twice as powerful, but they're also trying to sell it for like 2000 bucks. You mean the 5090? Yeah. 5090. Ma- like maybe- how will things look if AMD launches a $600, uh, 8,700 XT that's as strong as a 4090, then Nvidia launches something 50 to hundred percent stronger than that, but it's too grand. And you're like, well, this is a third the price for most of the performance. Yeah, may- That's absurd. May- and maybe, no one needs more performance. Maybe that will, re- uh, I, I'm saying, I, I don't know. It, I don't either. I, I don't sure know yet, how right? that's going to feed into consumer perception. I think if we had a smart, if we had a smart market, people would generally see what AMD is putting out as the better option. But I don't know, because I think 
I, I think at most levels of performance right now, AMD is the clearly obvious option. But when you know you look at people like building PCs online, they're still defaulting to NVIDIA cards and most tiers of performance. And it's like, why? Like, actually look at what you're re- actually look at the thing you're about to spend twelve hundred dollars on. Why was the RTX 3050 outselling the RX 6700 10 gigabyte on Amazon? They were the same price, and one of them was like fifty percent more performance, yeah. maybe more. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I just don't under I, I just truly don't understand how this keeps happening. So at a certain point, I think it's just. It, Will this uh, look good for the average consumer? I mean, will the average consumer see this as a good look for AMD? And my answer is like, probably not. But I honestly don't know what you can do to have like, a good look. There's this perception, and there's been times AMD wins, times AMD loses, and it doesn't really seem to matter with how this affects their perception long term. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. It's like uh, I know this is a decade ago, so it's starting to feel pretty hilarious, like an old man on the lawn going, "Well, back in my day." But, you know, you have people, they win as AMD ever actually won. And it's like, they won like four generations in a row when we were, you mm-hmm. know, younger, you know. And then the Titan came out and beat the 7970 gigahertz by 30%. Uh, actually, compared to the 7970 gigahertz toxic that ran at 1.2 gigahertz, it, that had, they both had six gigs of RAM and NVIDIA was charging 50% more for something 20% better. It's, it's kind of hilarious, actually. Um, and yet they called yep. it the Titan and they couldn't keep it in stock. And that did surprise NVIDIA at the time. But then they saw that and they were like, oh, if we have the strongest card, or if it's even perceived as the strongest, we can afford to sell this for way more than we thought we could. Yeah. And I mean, I, the entire continuation of the market from that point on, I, th- this is a continuation of the first Titan release up until now is... NVIDIA just further testing how much more can we push it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think they found the limit with the 3090 Ti, by the way. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, like they, they were able to sell the Titan RTX for $2,500 in a booming market, but I don't know how many of them they actually made, you know? So same with Titan Volta, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think they found when they made a ton of, well, not actually they make that many. It's pretty rare at first, but they made a notable amount eventually of 3090 TIs and it just dropped in price overnight. So I think they learned two grand's probably the reasonable limit for now. Yeah. Reasonable limit. <laughs> um, all right. Let me move on to an interesting reader mail here that I also got feedback on. Um, they're right down a timestamp. Getting out and enjoying the weather, or is it too hot to get outside? Well, either way, whether you're looking for an easy meal on the go or something quick and delicious while you're cooped up inside, Vite Ramen has you covered. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers tons of options for eating healthy. Their classic packages make it easy to add protein and other ingredients of your choice, including new flavors like Radiant Crab Ryu. And also, their Ramen Go packages offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break away from home. Or they even have other healthy products like Nano Boost Powder that makes any food at least a little healthy click on the link in the description and use the offer code broken silicon to save 10 percent on a variety of products including special bundles for moore's law z fans raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes and other food products powders cooking utensils and more they are a plucky small but rapidly growing company that has been good to moore's law z dead for years 
So, you know, supporting them helps support me. And even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference for Moore's Law is Dead. But I really do like their products and I recommend you try them as well. So check out Vite Ramen today. Really? Gonna keep the glasses on for more than a minute. So, Timothy Baldridge writes in and asks, We know that it's going to be hard to get a gaming card to work well with multiple compute chiplets, but DLSS and other AI tech heavily leverage the AI tensor cores and GPUs, and these cores do only one thing, fuse, multiply, add on large data sets. Do you think it may be possible for NVIDIA to break these cores into a separate chiplet? Could the first MCM design from NVIDIA be an RDNA 3 style thing with external memory controllers feeding into a single compute chip and then one AI chip next to it as well? I think that this design could open up more room for compute cores on the main die while also allowing NVIDIA to play with the compute versus AI core balance on their cards. Well, Timothy, I asked someone at NVIDIA and I was told uh, that basically you can totally theoretically separate out the compute die like AMD has from other portions of the die, but that you're gonna wanna keep the CUDA, Tensor, and RT cores all on one die together because they have a sh there's massive benefits to them having a shared register file on the same die. So unless you're doing 3D stacking, which seems like AMD's having trouble getting that working, <laughs> um, unless you get 3D stacking where you can mitigate the latency thing or really actually if anything have a latency bonus because it's literally on top unless you do that using these things aren't going to be separated out mm -hmm. um, and even then they're we'll probably just do a cash die on top of all of them together still that'd still be in a roundabout way making the die larger or something but you know uh, the, the answer is no there's not going to be a tensor core die because due to latency reasons and how you organize the register file it just wouldn't make sense um KJM015 writes in, he says, Hey Tom, you mentioned recently that both AMD and NVIDIA are considering exiting high-end consumer GPU space. What do you think is the likelihood that upcoming GPU generations from AMD and NVIDIA will entirely exclude high-end dies from the consumer lineup? For example, would future Blackwell 102 or Navi 41 dies even make it to GeForce and Radeon products? Um, well, we I can tell you Blackwell. For... Yeah, I already... Like I've shared a diagram here of Navi 4C, let's suggest I may also have one like that from a high-end card from another company. Um, so, you know, I know that Blackwell is probably going to be pretty big. Uh, but my suggestion that NVIDIA might leave high-end really is more so referencing the RTX 6000 series, right? Um, and you just made a weird face, Dan. What's the... R rtx 6000 you mean after blackwell yeah 5000 okay. 6000 you know because it was suggested to me that well they may go chiplets if people if they if if nvidia does go chiplets on like two nanometer that's going to be really expensive and they might but if the market shows there is not a significant amount of people that want three thousand dollar high-end cards they may go, yep, we're stopping at 400 millimeters squared. Now, let's be very clear about something. I think we have to define what a high-end card is because I think most people right now would say 500 millimeters squared or larger, right? That's what most people would probably say, something like that. But I want to point something out to everybody. Everybody loves that damn 1080 Ti. Uh, and the 1080 Ti's die size was 471 millimeters squared. So mm -hmm. that's 
bigger than I believe the reticle limit will be on two nanometer at TSMC, which is 400 millimeters squared. But it's not even 20% bigger. And they were able to get you guys to buy a Titan with a 471 millimeter squared die when silicon costs were like a third or a fourth what they are now. Uh, and you guys paid over $1,000 for that thing sometimes. Yeah, usually exactly at that. No, way, I think that one they charged 1200 Yeah, I remember because the marketing was Tom's hardware said twelve hundred. That's right, not eleven ninety nine. Nvidia wants the extra dollar, <laughs> um, which I thought was a funny statement. You know, who's to say they won't call a sixty ninety a sixty ninety with a four hundred millimeter squared die? But that is what I mean by Nvidia exiting high end. Not that they won't make something they tell you is high end, but they may be done trying to push to extra to mega die sizes or extra ridicule limit sizes if people won't pay for it oh and who knows that could mean though that you have a 102 blackwell 102 maybe that not mostly, blackwell blackwell next well but if the ai market's still going incredibly well i mean is maybe there they'll a, decide to do that with blackwell already yeah and maybe uh, nvidia's high end will be their 103 die again right because the 1080 ti was I don't remember what they're. They didn't have 103 dies back then. Was that 104 then? No, so, that was 102. Okay. Oh, it was just a small 102 die. Okay. Right. Well, I can't imagine where Nvidia now. got this idea that they're going to sell you a 400 something millimeter square die for. Where would they get that idea that they could get away with selling that for 1200? I don't know. They've only been doing it for <laughs> almost a decade, but you know, now we noticed. I guess I don't know. I, I mean, so yeah, like I, I'm just saying, there, there's always a possibility that. What we're now deciding is high end for the past two generations, I guess, it is redefined even with Blackwell because they don't see it as a worth as valuable to put Blackwell 102 on a cons- or a gaming GPU. I, I don't know <laughs> if it, I think that's all dependent on how well the AI market is doing in 2024. No, I agree, and I think it's entirely conceivable, and and there's no doubt that AMD pushing back the high-end chiplet design to RDNA 5. Part of that is the issues they're having, or that seems to be most of it. Like, I, I in that leak, I, I talked about how AMD was pulling resources out of other teams mm-hmm. um, and going and getting as much help as they could and, and spending extra money to try to fix it. And so, yes, it was costing them money and they were having issues that they thought they would need extra time. That's part of the delay of the high-end release. But also, they might be looking at that and going, also, all this money could be going towards MI400 development. Like, we could be pulling off engineers who are, it's the same type of work and be working on that. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> and I guess that is worth pointing out. Like, what if NVIDIA decided not, what if also, uh, yeah, I hate to say it, what if NVIDIA looks at AMD canceling Navi 41 and 42 and goes, oh, we don't need, theirs is going to be 250 millimeter squared probably. We don't need something bigger than four or five hundred. Let's, yeah, the one hundred and three die is now going to be the top die because that that alone will be thirty to forty percent better than the forty ninety, anyways. Yeah, um, uh, I think it's conceivable. Who knows? May, maybe they won't go for it, and they'll call that like a fifty eighty Ti instead of a fifty ninety. But eh, yeah, I wouldn't put it past them. Just call it a fifty ninety if it increases performance by thirty percent or something. But you know, the question actually asked by KJM zero one five. What do you think the likely is that upcoming GPU generations from AMD and NVIDIA are going to entirely exclude high-end? If how we define high-end is bigger than like 500 millimeter square dies on the latest node, I think that's what we mean. Um, 
you know, because you can call anything high end if it's the strongest card on the market. Uh, I mean, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's all going to come down to if the AI bubble continues for another six months in the way it is. If it, if it doesn't just continue, but it accelerates towards the mm-hmm. end of this year, I think in- NVIDIA might cancel the very top Blackwell configuration I've seen that was looked pretty damn huge and expensive. <laughs> But they had another option that was quite smaller, but would still be stronger than this gen. And uh, I think, honestly, I think, I think, I think my gut says high chance. AMD's leaving, you know? So I think some people are going, well, that means NVIDIA is going to charge five grand for the top card. No, it means they're going to charge more money for an AI card and not make it, probably. Yeah. And if that means instead a uh, NVIDIA decides to end the Blackwell generation at, a thousand dollars or something uh i would honestly prefer that so <laughs> well that's the funny thing too like what we really need to be rooting for is for rdna4 whatever it ends up being to at least hit similar performance to what we have now in the ultra high end and be really really better price performance than what we have now because that's what's actually going to fix literally anything like i saw someone in the comments go because i, I made a big stink about this in my recent video i was like where are all the sensationalized headlines about NVIDIA leaving high end? You guys are freaking about, about AMD. What about NVIDIA? And someone said, well, I'm going to guess a lot of people saw your NVIDIA might leave high end thing. They, what they heard is, oh, I guess NVIDIA isn't making $2,000 cards anymore. And then when they saw AMD leaving high end, what they heard was NVIDIA is now going to be selling $3,000 cards. But that's not really the case, people. Either way, that just means that $2,000 card's gone. What we want is something you can get for a reasonable price pushing competition in the mid-range because it doesn't really matter. AMD doesn't make high-end cards. It doesn't really affect what happens with the 90. I don't think it does really anymore. Unless it was going to be, unless 41 was going to be so absurd, you know, but they were still going to charge a decent amount of money for it, so. Yeah. Um, I don't know. So that was a lot of stuff about this subject. I expected it to mean the main conversation (laughs) of this episode. And undoubtedly, yes, this seems like it will end up being almost half of the episode. But like, do you have anything else to say about RDNA 4, Top End being canceled, RDNA 5, Blackwell, or anything else about like these companies just possibly shifting their focus from gaming and high end to AI cards they can sell for tens of thousands of dollars? I mean, I don't think so. I, 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 we need to see how the market develops at this point. I mean, honestly, I'm just watching for how AI is for the next year. Because I, I think AI is going to strongly dictate how how the gaming market moves forward indirectly. Yeah. Well, something else that might dictate gaming performance is Intel CPUs. Mm-hmm. And I think we should talk about them now with story number five. Story number five, how rentable units work, Intel's alternative to hyperthreading. All right, so many of you will remember that this channel exclusively leaked the rentable units as something replacing hyperthreading and Royal Core architectures from Intel last month. Recently, this channel got access to a rough explanation. Let me actually pull it up because I want to read it again. A rough explanation of what rentable units even is. And to quote here from a source at Intel explaining it, to be this person says to be honest i'm still wrapping my head around how this will work as well as projected by with jim keller's royal core project but cougar cove 
which should come out in Panther Lake in Q- quarter four, 2025 or early 2026, which I want to clarify that when I originally put this in that broken sale, kind of just said 2025, I meant one source thinks it could come out at the tail end of 2025. Mm-hmm. I still think the higher likelihood is early 2026, but moving on. Cougar Cove supposedly can achieve a 40% IPC advantage with rentable unit cores over what the now canceled competing design would have achieved with four-way hyper-threading in the Panther Lake with Panther Cove. So again, just to outline what happened, they had two competing designs. Arrow Lake is the first version of Royal Cove, a uh, Royal Core. Second gen Royal Core is was going to be either Panther Cove with four-way hyper-threading four threads per core, or this rentable unit thing they were working on. And they chose rentable unit because in single threading, they could get a 40% IPC advantage with Cougar Cove over Panther Cove. Now, rentable units seem to be doing something related to the addressable logic and core units. The cores in the later Royal Core family are being redesigned to be more compact, kind of like Zen C cores, but then they're also organizing them two at a time, two of them into each unit with each core having an allocation of SRAM independently, but sharing MLC per unit. Then there's wider and deeper front, branch prediction enhancements, new extensions, latency reductions from Alder Lake and Raptor Lake. The important thing to understand is that because the cores are grouped into units that minimize die space, they take up that less space, but they're still two cores, and in lightly threaded applications, four of the cores out of eight so one core in each rentable unit can apparently boost extremely high with excessive IPC until they get bogged down a little bit while you're using all eight at the same time. So, yep, that is what was confirmed in the last Broken Silicon with Brian Heemskirk. And Brian Heemskirk said that this sounded really interesting. The only concern he has is that because Arrow Lake does not have rentable units yet, but it loses hyper-threading, that might have a short-term issue by just having eight cores, eight threads, really, for gaming because they're not programming for e-cores at most studios and that they need to have that latency penalty, therefore, fixed by the time Panther Lake comes out so that those e-cores can pick up some of the slack in modern game engines. Mm-hmm. So, damn, what do you think about rentable units? Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's another one of those things where I feel like it goes a bit beyond I know my depth. So, I mean, I don't know. The one concern I have with that is if it gets bogged down uh, when using all eight cores to an extent, I could see that causing a gaming performance to suffer a decent amount, especially in more in highly threaded in more highly threaded games, definitely. Unless, like you say, they fix the they fix the latency issues with E cores and they're actually able to be used more readily in games. From what I'm hearing, Arrow Lake does not fully fix it, but they might by Beast Lake, which is in like five years from six, four or five years from now. But there are some <laughs> this is how it was worded there will be some mitigations for Arrow Lake, but I don't know what that means. Does that mean they have a updated thread detect, uh, you know, thread director and some crossbar for solving this when needed, or is it literally just a software bandaid? I don't know. Yeah. So the one thing, uh, the one thing I would be worried about is, uh, if this causes like a very, uh, like super variable, uh, range and like performance you get uh versus um raptor lake refresh so maybe that when this comes out with when arrow lake comes out maybe it will in, in certain games it will be it will kill arrow lake and then in other games it will perform worse than arrow lake because it just doesn't have as many threads or it, it, it doesn't it, it, 
it doesn't have as many big threads, I guess. <laughs> if we're comparing a 16-core Zen 5 with Vcache to Arrow Lake 8 plus 32, which I think it's worth pointing out, I don't believe 8 plus 32 will be ready right away. It might just be 8 plus 16 first. Mm-hmm. That might... But in gaming, I actually don't think that'll make a difference if we're talking about games, so who cares? Um, I think what we're probably... What we could see um, is in like uh in like a third of games arrow lake wins by a lot or, or like may, i don't know maybe like one out of five games arrow lake just wins by 20 percent, and then in like a third of games amd wins by 10 percent, and then half is a tie that's kind of what i'm guessing mm-hmm. eh, but over time it may shift more in zen's favor as more cores are utilized yeah, so I mean that's the big worry is if e cores aren't being you used really in gaming. Well, great, you have about thirty two e cores and uh, eight big cores, which for some games are going to be way better, and for other games are going to be not that much better. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm worried that Arrow Lake could just be a user benchmark crown taker that doesn't actually offer any <laughs> that much of a benefit <laughs> to versus like Arrow Lake or whatever Zen 5 or wherever Zen will be when uh, that's out. Compressed Earthblocks writes in yet again and says, Tom, this question is in regard to rentable units. I found myself talking to someone in the Discord, insert shameless plug for the Moore's Law's dead Patreon here, that these kind of sound like CMT or clustered multi-threading, an approach that AMD attempted and arguably failed with, with Bulldozer. However, these seem to maybe have none of those downsides, though, if you really get into it. Is this where the idea stemmed from, you think? Is this more so to make use of resources that aren't being touched in a more effective way than hyperthreading? That one. That's what it's probably from. Uh, <laughs> or is this more of an evolved philosophy of CMT? Bonus question. Will hyperthreading make a comeback with rentable units at any point in the future after Arrow Lake? I don't see any reference to hyperthreading in Lunar Lake, Panther Lake, Beast Lake, Nova Lake. Di- uh, I think... I don't know about Diamond Rat. I don't like. No, I I, I don't think so. I, I think uh, once we're past Diamond Rapids, it's over. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I think Hyperthreading's just gone, baby. So, um, I think you know they have these E cores that are a fourth the size of a big core. Um, which actually, let me point this out too, right here. Uh, someone leaked the amount of cash in Air Lake, and it's an absurd increase over After Lake. You know, so no, I, I think, uh, which high yield put the math together in Twitter. Uh, we can put that on screen. Oh, um, wait, what was the cash, if you remember? Well, let me open up the tweet right now. Uh, what was it? It was like three megabytes of L2 per core, I think, instead of two. So a 50% oh, cash increase. Well, 50 per core, though, and this is going to have four, right? 40 cores. Uh, this is for the Lion Cove ones, the P cores, eight. Oh, okay. Never mind. Okay. Now, what's interesting though is this is a six-fold increase from Cypress Cove and Rocket Lake. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how fast they've gone from 0.5 megabytes of L2 per core to three. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Um, I mean, I, and I just think this is their solution. They're just like Arrow Lake is the start. It doesn't have hyperthreading, or they wanted it to, but they axed it. Um. And then moving forward, my suggestion would be Cougar Cove and Panther Lake is probably going to have this cache, but minimize it for one of the cores, like a Z core, 
and there's going to be rentable units of C, non-C, one of the cores can boost absurdly high, right? Mm-hmm. And then in multi-threading, well, well, 32 little cores anyways, and those little cores are getting stronger. So I just think that's their solution moving forward. Um, Lorez Gamer writes in and asks, who is the moron at Intel who came up with the term rentable units for their future CPUs? Sounds like they're following some companies in the auto industry that tr- require consumers to pay a monthly subscription to activate the full performance of their product. Or is that actually what Intel is doing? You can pay a monthly fee to get eight cores instead of four? <laughs> no, I don't think so. And I agree. You know, I've actually been a little disappointed how undercovered this like gigantic bombshell leak out of this channel has been of evolving past hyperthreading. But I have to think that half of it is, uh, well, first of all, I don't have an anime picture in my Twitter profile. So that's probably hurting me on some of these gossip websites. But the other side of it is, uh, I do think rentable units is a very uncatchy name. (laughs) I I mean, Nova Lake sounds cool. Who knows, though, what if this is just what it's being called internally because it makes sense for their design because... I, I I don't fully understand it, but it's like, I, I don't know. Two cores have access to different, uh, to some of the same uh, material, so rentable units. I mean, maybe they'll come up with some, cat, try to come up with some catchy name to advertise it uh, because that's what they tend to do. Um, mm-hmm. Or maybe they'll just try to silently axe hyper-threading and, Say, don't worry, look how much better performance you're getting even without hyperthreading. <laughs> and yeah. the rentable units won't be like a big th- part of its branding. That's the other possibility. I would suggest that they'll probably come up with a cooler name. Yeah, or if there's like an absurd amount Sonic of... Sonic Burst. Or if there's like a ton of cash... Sonic on, Boom cores. And if there's like a ton of cash on it, maybe that's what they'll try to advertise. We have mega cash now. You got the cash for this Intel cash, baby? Oh, yeah. Compressed Earthbox writes in again and says, Tom, since we're going to have e-cores for the foreseeable future for Mintel, yeah, I don't see that going away. How will they evolve? Do you hear if they'll ever take an approach more like a Zen 4C? Yes, that's part of what rentable units is. Or will they try to make these cores more dense or aim for power efficiency as time goes on? E-cores can be quite helpful for certain workloads, but there are limitations, especially apparent when we see Zen 4C and 5C retaining essentially the full core from their bigger brothers while being both area and power efficient. Um, I just think they've got to solve the latency penalty. And after that, whatever, like right now, was it Gracemont? And then I guess right after like Gracemont plus is a little better than Skylake IPC and multi-threading. That's pretty dang good. And mm-hmm. I think Meteor Lake's going to get almost not quite to Ice Lake, a little weaker than Ice Lake. And then I think I don't remember if it's Skymont or Darkmont that's next. There's all these months. Um, you know, I think by the time we're even to Arrow Lake in a year, we're going to have little cores that are probably pretty much like Tiger Lake or like, you know, this is or, or, you know, like Tiger Lake or in Cypress Cove, Rocket Lake cores, except they use so much less energy and they have 32 of them. You know, eventually we're going to get to a point anyways, where Intel is 32 little cores that are performing like Golden Cove by Beast Lake, I would suggest. And mm-hmm. I think they think that's more than good enough if they can solve the latency issue. Um, and yes, they'll probably be twice as big as a Zen 6 core, but they'll have more of them. And I just think this is how they're going to do it. And <laughs> if they can solve the latency penalty between these things, I it works. You know, yeah. it works. 
It's not as elegant. It's not as, wow, that's so simple. It's beautiful, but it, it does work. Yeah. Um, QH Freddy writes in, a lot of games and demos with Unreal Engine 5 appear to be getting very CPU limited. Are these just problems with early UE5 or do we straight up need more CPU horsepower? Should that be single core or multi-core? Probably like faster four cores, which is what Intel is doing. Uh, are there accelerators in the works that can pick up the slack on that end? Yeah, you know, I talked to Brian Heemskirk about this in the last episode, and I don't know that we really drilled in on it as much as we th I thought we would, but I think really the answer becomes we're not entirely sure yet. We could use a better CPU, but he seems to think maybe everything needs to be better. Maybe we need Gen 5 PCIe, DDR5 8000, and Gen 5 SSDs, and mm -hmm. then faster graphics and CPUs. And once you do that, maybe there's a bunch of little bottlenecks that are having an outsized effect in this game engine that he said, and I asked him this, like that might just be ahead of its time. Like maybe they made a game engine for the future that's just crushing performance. And once we have significantly better IO and PCs, it'll be a thing of the past. Because UE5 uses a lot of asset streaming, correct? Or um, Yeah. Which, so that's a problem entirely of IO, which I mean, adding more cores can solve that, but I don't know. I think uh, a more elegant solution might be better, but PC in general likes brute force solutions. So that's probably what's going to happen. Right. But I just don't know. I don't know if like when we go to like Arrow Lake and then like Zen 6, if it's all going to be solved anyways by yeah, all we'll the see. new IO on it. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I was just hoping that like, the new consoles would force the issue on PC more than it did. Although it's forced the issue a little bit with problems with IO on PC. <laughs> yeah, it, it has. Um, it's just a thing where it's like they're brute. F it's like, um, it's like the PlayStation five as an example is just built with all of these things in an assembly line. And instead of having an assembly line, we made all of our workers, 10 feet tall and have giant muscles and work at lightning speed, but they're still not in an assembly line. So it's like, you've got these Titans not working together and like maybe next gen PCs, they'll be more, they'll be either so strong. It doesn't matter probably, or there will be more of a, like, you know, cause they're trying to fix it right now. It's just not very elegant. Yeah. Or they're on an assembly line, but for some reason we did all of that, but we made the belt really weak. <laughs> yeah exactly um all right let us move on probably briefly but on to it nonetheless to story number six so ps5 slim allegedly pictured nothing else to add uh i just want to get your take if you're wondering what the ps5 slim looks like i was kind of hoping to be more of like a rectangular sleek looking design no it, it's it's literally like a Chinese knockoff of the PS5 that's smaller. It is a smaller PS5. It, it, it looks exactly like what you think it would. Yes, it looks, it kind of looks like one of those uh, PS5s you would find on like AliExpress. Yeah, or, it looks like there could be a place where you pop off the disk drive too. I can kind of see a, oh, a line that hmm. could be a panel you pop up. I'm not 100% sure, but we'll have it on screen too. So. I mean, not much to say about the design. It's the same if you like the design from the past. Well, great. It's the same design. If you don't, like I think a lot of people disliked, well, sorry, it's still ugly to you. Yeah, they're deciding to keep it, I guess. Um, yeah, the only other thing I would add is I saw Kepler saying this on Twitter. You know, if anyone was expecting this thing to become a third as big, 
you guys got to remember AMD, you know, six nanometer, the cost of it. Sony is just going to go, well, it's 20% less power. So we're going to make it smaller. Maybe we can even get it to half as big eventually, but we're never going to make it a third as big. Mm -hmm. You know, like we used to see with those ultra, but you know, the PS2 went through crazy die shrinks. The PS3, I think started at like, was it 90 nanometer or something? It was insane. And like ended at 40, I think. And then they turned it into a George Foreman grill. They did. You know, a lot of people made fun of that. I didn't think it was that ugly. (laughs) No, I actually think it looked cooler than the uh, other slim. I mean, well, you tell me, I thought the other slim was very boring looking, kind of lame and cheap looking, whereas the Foreman grill kind of looked cheap, but it was an interesting design. I kind of liked the grill. I just thought it was a little bit goofy looking. I mean, I don't really hate any of them, to be honest with you, but yeah, honestly, I just thought the other slim was so boring. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe I like goofy stuff. What can I say? I, I mean, I don't know. I, like as far as console designs go, I, I would say I my favorites like just from a visual and like how the and like a assembly perspective i mean i like the ps4 design and i think the ps5 and series x both have pretty good designs mm-hmm. uh the xbox one not so much because that was just an empty box but <laughs> yeah yeah it was um yeah so i don't know what else to say about this i think you just look at the ps5 and you're like 2021 edition they reduced the weight massively. 2022 edition, they released the, and I think they re- reduced like the sound and the heat out too. 2022, again, better fan, like lower fan speeds. They tweaked the voltage, it seems like, to use less energy, much lighter heat sink again. And now they're taking all these changes because I've heard the newest PS5s you're buying kind of feel like an empty box because they have the same shell and everything is like half the weight. Mm-hmm. Now they're just like, all right, now it's smaller. With a six nanometer die, that's 20% less energy or something. Um, and anything more than this, I don't think we should really expect. They may make one slightly cheaper and smaller in the future, but I don't think they're going to five nanometer with this. So, yeah. All right. Final. All right. Here we move on then to the uh, almost had a stroke in front of everybody. <laughs> almost had a Mitch McConnell moment. Um, the final wrap-up, uh, these are, of course, stories that we think are worth mentioning, but definitely don't have enough for us to make them their own story. So we already talked about Hardware Unboxed reviewing the 7900 Golden Rabbit Edition, so I'm going to move on from that. Uh, we also have more evidence of AMD shipping around Zen 4 Threadripper. Remember, guys, we're already in quarter three, though, so I still think tail end of quarter four is the earliest you're seeing this more likely mm-hmm. quarter one or two next year but more proof and it seems like there's a 16 core model by the way quite possibly here mm. um, which is interesting uh we also have the starfield edition of the 7800 x3d and 7900 xtx don't have much to say it actually is. the cpu one's even goofier what do you mean starfield edition Wait, it's a limited edition box the card doesn't look any different the cpu oh, doesn't yeah. look any difference I actually think the card kind of looks interesting, to be honest. Yeah, they try. <laughs> they got they some really went you, got, you basically got a pride flag there on the side on the heat sink. That's fun. Hey, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Again, nothing else to say to you. <laughs> no, I, the, they look nice. That's about it. <laughs> now, these next last two, I think these ones are far more interesting. There's a LGA 1851 Meteor Lake chip, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm still hearing that it's probably not coming out. No one here thinks it is that I've asked today at Intel. But 
it looks like they actually made a six plus eight desktop chip. And in fact, one person suggested to me if Intel wasn't getting rid of their NUC division, this may have oh. actually been made. Maybe this was being made for that. Like they were saving the Z790 for NUC sales or something. Mm-hmm. And I guess it still remains. The, not Z7, Z890. The Z890 motherboard platform for Meteor Lake is designed and done. There's always this chance they could decide to launch a Meteor Lake platform early next year as an i5 15600K and then put Arrow Lake above it. There's always that chance. I mean, it's not. I mean, I don't know. You need to see what the architectures will all look like uh, versus each other. But I mean, that doesn't necessarily sound stupid. Like a Meteor Lake would make a Meteor Lake would still make for a really good uh, gaming chip as an i5. So, eh, I, I as think long as they can make it run at like 5.2, 5.5 gigahertz, it should have like five to ten percent higher IPC than Raptor Lake Refresh. Um, so you'd be probably looking at the same performance in gaming, but it'd be using like half the energy at most, and it would have a much nicer platform. That'd be better than Zen 4. I mean, I think that'd be, why not? If you can, I just, why not? And then you just say, guess what? Get this i5. You can upgrade to an 8 plus 32 Arrow Lake in a year. Like, I think that's a good idea. And that allows you to get motherboards on store shelves before the launch of Arrow Lake. So they're not all overpriced, but Mm -hmm. that's just something I'd point out was a, a, could be a huge issue for Arrow Lake once Zen 5 launches and you already have all the motherboards there for cheap. Yeah. Um, All right. Final story of the wrap up. Uh, Intel hires Robert Halleck, uh, to work. Yeah. So I just think this is worth pointing out because I thought Robert Halleck was one of the best people, at least from a public facing perspective at AMD before he left. And it's interesting to see Intel hire them because he's like, you know, good, please hire this person and not Ryan Trout. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Intel, uh, Intel needs some better marketing. So (laughs) And this guy, I loved his little explanation videos on AMD's YouTube channel. Yeah, like Robert Halleck like, was good. I mean, um, he was really good in interviews too. Really good. Yeah, I, I mean, I, presumably, well, I guess you never know. Presumably, well, I guess he had that brief interim thing where he was there for a year. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was at AMD for a long time. So I think it's a big get for Intel's marketing. QH Freddy writes in, if you're Robert Halleck, how would you market the Raptor Lake Refresh i9? Um, the best thing I can say is an excellent upgrade from Alder Lake. And also, I'd make a big deal about it. Third generation on the same socket. We finally did it for the first time in like 10 <laughs> freaking years at Intel. So I, I would do that. I would say, you know, third generation, you've got something here that is another 5 to 20% better than the other one. And that one was another 10 to 40%, depending on the workload, better than this. It's getting to a point where you can go from an Alder Lake i5 to a Raptor Lake Refresh i9 that has like, I don't even know, like, what are we talking about? Like oh. double the multi-threading and 30% higher single or something silly or 15% higher single. Like. Here's a good upgrade. That is how I would market it. For everything else, I would just say, eh, look, it's technically the highest performance for creators. That's all. And that's the biggest thing, really, for in my opinion. And as time goes on, everybody is a content creator. <laughs> if you look in the comments, you know, the second AMD 
add Vega that was good for perform good price performance for cre- creating. All of a sudden, all AMD fanboys were content creators. And then once <laughs> Ampere came out, apparently, apparently all NVIDIA gamers also are programming CUDA every weekend. I didn't know this. But now that Ampere is good at compute, all of a sudden, everyone's using CUDA every day. Uh, everybody that is buying NVIDIA cards for the past 12 years, Tom, huge into CUDA. I mean, otherwise, why would they all be spamming our comments? It's going to possibly just be because they're fanboys. Um, AWS Danny writes in, Jared Tech review, Jared's text review showed that the Asus Zephyrus G14 got substantially better battery life while using the dedicated GPU versus the integrated one. Does this impact your thoughts at all about APUs removing the need for low to mid-tier dedicated GPUs? Um, well, my short answer is no, uh, because either way, you're still saving money and you'll still get power savings when you're not gaming, even if this is true. This is really just proving how efficient Lovelace is. Yeah. You know, so even then, you know, you're talking about a GPU, you know, that's still adding all this four nanometer silicon and I'm sure it's still limited to a pretty low power consumption. So I don't know. I I would just say it doesn't surprise me at all that you're outsourcing from like a tiny six nanometer die running at a high clock speed to a, I mean, again, let's keep in mind the GPU on the APU itself is probably like half of that die size. So uh, it doesn't surprise me that much. I'm just shocked that the difference is that big. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you subscribe to the Moore's Laws at YouTube channel. Ring the yeah. bell button so you see upcoming content. Subscribe to the Moore's Lies Dead Patreon, and you'll get exclusive episodes like Die Shrink. A new Die Shrink just came out. Actually, you can also submit free questions to Loose Ends. There's also a uh, ad-free video version of Loose Ends and audio version of Loose Ends that goes into an RSS feed if you support Moore's Laws Dead on Patreon. So there's basically ad-free versions of all content some of it comes out early and some of it's exclusive all that's on the patreon exclusive content coming out every week and do this without our patrons click all the links in the description to support our sponsors and uh yeah i don't know everybody i gotta get to packing because i'm moving in a couple days uh have a nice week bye this podcast was brought to you by the youtube channel and website moore's laws dead moore's laws dead and broken silicon are trademarks of their creator Tom, that guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law's Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Law's Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Kerry Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about side support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work hire gerard for audio work hire jean philippe for industrial design work or you're interested in working with carbon cry or carry no sugata as well you can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables or you can also mail us some love you can send letters or hardware donations to the following address moore's law is dead p.o box 60632 and nashville tennessee zip code 37206 Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Law's Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Law's Dead content truly 
possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law Z podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it. the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Foles, Egypt, Daniel D, Andrew Close, Jan Renner, Daniel Hyde, Brian Ringelman, Sam Miller, MJB1, Deke, Jeezy Ziggy, SNES Chalmers, Jerem Ferriera, Andrew S, Falco Malev, General Drips, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Eric Jackson, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Greg Wanchuk, Chris Rich, Nicholas Buckner, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Jesse Jaskowiak, 3DS Boy 08, Al Buma, Blake, Hardforum.com, Franco Frederick, Shredbird, Dr. Foreman, Jake Dude23, Jake Martins, Licky, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Stephen Hart, Meat and Pork Stew, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Nanyan, Sammy Malas, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zoot Suit Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Go, Stefan, Jordan Simkovic, Amiable Chief, Win Wang, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Julian Leak, I Should, Mark Rainmaker, The Boss Hoss, James Anderson, Cole Attic, Judson N. Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Pell, D31337 Antics, Roger Davies, Cameron, Exapuma, Byzantine, Meyer Tech Rants, Original Ari, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, Gregory S. Acker, Neithra Zink, The Eternal Dreamers, GSMMH, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sadler, AWS Danny, Loophole 35, Windstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shay, Milton, Pulse Media, Dave Schultz, McDaffy, Stephen Dick, Chuck Lydon, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I7 11700K, Joe Foot, Hardland, Slush Boss C2, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Keith Moore, Himsa Gung, Tails 2299, Brian Wright, John Siphos, Earth Taurus, The Forbidden Juice, Fenty CZ, Kiko Sato, Toka, RB Racer, Me, Val Verga, AC, Colin Tadards, Lord Starstream, Michael Cozy, Dr. J Mad, Alex Vega, Free D, John Swin, Rodent BC, Terminal Junkie, Brian Wright, Jed Baldwin, Joe LaMartina, Kikum Elbergun, Solarized 80, Christopher Ricks, Jamie Whitworth, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.